Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Weird Chronicles. Each episode, we bring you tales of action and adventure from Malifaux and the other side. On today's episode, we meet Philip Toomers, a promising archaeology student who has made the most important discovery of his life in the ruins of Kithera. But other powers are interested in those same ruins, and the information that Tumas has gathered is valuable to dangerous people. I hope you enjoy Till Gran Kithera Dao. Till Gran Kithera Dao by Nicholas Volker. Speak the words, Till Gran Kithera Dao, and the eye of death will open. Travel east with the hum of the breach at your back on the longest night of the year toward the red star on the horizon. On the sixth day in the bayou, for it shall take you at least six days, turn your eyes to the horizon and mind the rising sun. It will show you the silhouette of the place. You will know it by its scale and by the shadow it casts, it will be large to rival anything man has made but of sharp and angular shape, for which nature is clearly not responsible. It will have spires, six or seven, I cannot remember which, like fingers reaching out from the water. To me it was like the Roman Colosseum or Stonehenge, a great temple. But it was none of these. You will see that it is a machine of tremendous magnitude and overwhelming complexity. It is comprised not of brick and mortar, but of gears and levers nested together in a way contradictory to geometry. Much of the structure is submerged, especially the centre portion, which in this text I call the foyer. These gears, these mechanical parts, have succumbed to the caustic waters of the bio, their teeth corroded and their orbits decayed. This is of no concern to the device. The temple device works. What I saw that day makes me question my sanity. It would be far more comforting if I had imagined what I saw. I remember the sound of Professor Halen's cry. How it was a sound not of pain, but of fright. I remember how I turned and looked up at him where he stood high amongst the great pillars of the ruins. He called out a phrase. I can only assume that he had somehow deciphered the phonetics from the markings that decorated the column. He called out these words, these terrible words, and the ruins moved. The pillars lurched and pushed out away from the centre of the site, Below, in the foyer, the water churned as mechanisms beneath the surface spun to life. The water took on an unnatural appearance, black like ink. Professor Halen tumbled down from where he stood and his body splashed into the water below. I watched helplessly as he was taken up by a sudden current and swept away towards the centre of the ruin, where his body was consumed by the churning water, pulled beneath. No part of him was seen again. It is not his death that haunts me. It is his words, 
the jarring syllables that he called out. The ruins answered his words and swallowed him up. Speak the words till Grand Kithera Dow, and the jaws of hell will open. Philip Tumas, graduate student of archaeology, put his journal down and crawled up into his meagre cot. The words he had written echoed in his mind. For many weeks those words have dominated his thoughts. In the thick volume of his journal, he had described the events of that day dozens of times. Its pages were filled with drawings and descriptions of the giant mechanism in its parts, its cogs decorated with strange spidery script, where they were not destroyed by centuries of corrosion. He is the only man to survive the research expedition into the South Bayou. Excluding the research lead, Professor Halen, who died at the site, each of his companions fell sick with a fever only a few days after returning to Malifaux. The fever destroyed their minds, and in their fit of death, they would mutter the word Kithera and gasp a breath as if strangled around their throats. These are the rumours Philip heard from the guards outside his cell. Only Philip survived, but in the custody of the guild sanitarium. Philip tugged at the blanket on his bunk, pulling it up over him as a chill filled his tiny cell. Looking up at the small window, a gap in the wall the size of a single brick, he was confused to see a waft of snow sweep in. His confusion elevated as the head of a cat poked through the hole and blinked its eyes down at him. The cat leapt from the window and landed gracefully beside him before leaping again to sit at his feet and look up at him. Philip was still and did not act particularly alarmed at his curious visitor. He had expected his descent into madness to begin several days ago. He had even quickly attributed his chill to the onset of a fever. Are you Philip Tumors? A voice spoke to fill the confined space. Philip mistook it as the voice of the cat. Well, that seals it, doesn't it? Talking cats? That's textbook crazy. Philip responded. Stand away from the wall, Philip Tumors. The voice spoke again. Wait, what? Philip began to realise that the voice came from beyond his window, that it belonged to someone on the outside. He stood up from his bunk and took a step backward to press his back against the iron door of his cell. His eyes grew wide as a flash of frost formed upon the wall across from him. The frost grew, and the chill in the cell asserted itself further. Ice formed in the mortar between the bricks, and, like a wedge driven between them, the wall split and bricks began to tumble free. The ice projected outwards and curled in on itself, crushing the bricks into powder. As the wall fell away, Philip was startled to see the ice form the appearance of a fist that belonged to an icy titan that towered over the ruin it had made. The giant, composed entirely of animate ice, lowered itself down to one knee to widen the opening. Fearless, the cat hopped out through the hole in the wall and between the legs of the ice golem. Philip, instead, was frozen with fear at the sight of the creature, but a voice shook him from his paralysis. Standing next to the creature, a slender woman in a long coat and fur hat beckoned to him. Come with me, Philip Tumors. We're leaving this place. Behind her, the narrow streets had been covered with a thick layer of snow. Overhead, the eye of a furious storm swirled, 
sending down a stream of cold and snow. It took a moment for his eyes to adjust to the blinding white, and he shielded his face with his arm as he climbed free of his prison. Together with the woman, the cat, and her golem, Philip rushed out into the snow. Her hair was black like night, and her flesh as pale as the snow packed underfoot. Her long, stockinged legs navigated the snowy landscape effortlessly as her long coat swirled around them. He called out to her. Who are you? Where are we going? What about the guild? He craned his head over his shoulder to glance at the sanitarium. He was surprised to see how much distance they had managed in such a brief sprint, and suddenly became aware of how fast his heart was racing and the adrenaline coursing in his veins. He saw guards stumble out of the opening in the wall, and one pointed after him and shouted, My name is Rasputina, the woman responded. You are Philip Toombers. You will take me to the Keithera ruins site. Stunned at this declaration, Philip tripped and tumbled through the snow, falling out on his back. His head spun with dizziness as it knocked against the cobbles hidden by the snow, and looking up at the swirling sky, he was struck with a bout of vertigo. He struggled to collect his senses as the angry clouds spun overhead. Slowly, he lifted his arm and pointed into the sky. Rasputina took hold of his arm to tug him back to his feet, but seeing the fear grow on Philip's face, she turned her eyes up into the sky. A black shape quickly grew, hurtling down towards the ground like a meteor. Great wings stretched out from the creature as it spun toward earth, and as it shot down toward them, it let out a terrible roar, the sound distinct even over the rush of swirling wind. Rasputina temporarily forgot her ward and stood up straight, standing her ground against the monster that sped toward her. The impact was deafening. Stepping in quickly, Rasputina's golem intercepted the hell-spawned creature. The force of its descent threw the pair of titans into a nearby building, smashing through the walls so that the floor above them caved in on top. Raising her arm, Rasputina took hold of the wind and sent a steam of snow to fill the ruined building with a heavy drift to make any possible exit difficult. We'll be gone before that thing climbs out of there, she called out loudly to her charge. She spun on her heels to locate him, and there he still lay where he had fallen. Standing over him, however, was the feminine equivalent of the creature that had fallen from the sky. Where that beast was made of strength and brawn and rage, this creature was built of subtlety, guile and deceit. She seemed immune to the frigid cold, dressed as she was in a leather corset and tall, thigh-high boots and standing stoically over the frightened man at her feet. By the unnatural green tint of her flesh, it was clear she was no human. She held a sword against her shoulder. Stand away from him, Rasputina commanded, and her voice was empowered by the might of the north wind, a booming echo between the towering buildings overhead. Without even looking up, the corseted woman let her blade drop, spearing the man through his belly to pin him to the ground. Philip called out with a cry of pain, and his hand shot up to grip the blade that held him. Rasputina reacted instantly, lashing out with a blast of frigid wind. The blast picked the woman up and threw her against a lamppost, bending the iron post over. Rasputina rushed over to take her place, standing over the body of Philip. His struggles had already ended. He was dead, 
there was only fury in Rasputina's eyes. Why did you kill this man? Rasputina demanded. To make you suffer, the woman responded frankly. The suffering will be yours. Rasputina's temperament became cool and detached, but her fury churned above her as a storm overhead rumbled with angry thunder. With a simple gesture of her hand, the chill wind shot out of the sky, slashing at the corseted woman like a scythe. Moving with inhuman agility, the woman leaped up and shot into the air. Reaching out, she took hold of the very fabric of reality and drew it around her like a cloak, her body vanishing from sight. Existence, temporarily distorted, stretched like it were elastic and bounced back into shape with a ripple, like a drop of water falling into a pond. The cloak of illusion hid her from Rasputina's wrath, but her voice still taunted her. I didn't expect a woman when I saw the storm. I came to kill a monster, big eyes, mouth full of knives. You know the type. The woman's voice reverberated around Rasputina so that she couldn't determine its source. Rasputina was silent for a moment and then exploded into laughter. Oh, I can't believe this. She's here to kill you, December. You have some explaining to do. A jilted lover. There was silence and then... What? Who are you talking to? The invisible woman's voice seethed with sudden anger. He is here. And then with a squeal of rage. I'll kill you. The corseted woman suddenly reappeared, hurtling down toward Rasputina, her heavy blade held overhead. Stepping deftly to the side, Rasputina dodged the attack, the blade falling powerfully against the street so that the snow was blown away and the cobbles beneath shattered, broken. With a swirl of wind, snow surrounded the woman, blinding her. Mad with fury, she lashed out again and again, but it was Rasputina's turn to play cat and mouse, sheltered by her curtain of snow. You can never hide, never escape. You will die. I will have your head. The woman cried out with a shrill scream. The monster you seek, his spectre haunts this city. You can kill me, but how can you kill a spectre? Rasputina called out over the roar of the winter wind. You cannot kill the winter, Lilith. To the corseted woman, being named justified her rage. There was no way for Rasputina to know her name, unless she was being coached. The object of her fury was present, of this Lilith was now keenly certain. She had come to investigate the storm. Its terrible swirling eye was a memory out of the distant past. In being named, it confirmed her worst fears, that her ancient enemy had somehow survived his death. The manner of his survival, however, seemed to be rather intangible. In naming her, Rasputina had also revealed her location to Lilith, her voice a beacon in the storm. With a swift lunge, Lilith's blade pierced the veil of swirling snow, its razor edge cutting across the flesh of Rasputina's thigh. The ice witch fell to her knees, clutching her wound. The laceration festered quickly, turning purple and putrid, the product of the envenomed edge. Lilith smelled blood and hefted up her sword to deliver the final strike. This is it. Time to die. A loud crash exploded nearby, and the giant ice golem lunged forward, 
grabbing the comparatively tiny Lilith from the sky before her strike could land. Furious at being denied, she turned her blade against the elemental, cleanly severing his hand from his arm. Free from its grip, she lunged forward again, bringing the full weight of the blade down on the creature. The collision was ear-splitting, a sound to shatter glass, and the golem exploded into a shower of glittering crystals, raining down all around, completely obliterated. Her distraction quickly dispatched, she turned quickly to find her true prey, but Rasputina's blizzard had hidden her from sight again. That blizzard proved little defence, as overhead great wings beat at the sky, temporarily banishing the snowy veil with a gust of wind. Lilith's demon consort howled and dove, its talons unfurled for its attack. The creature slammed into Rasputina and the two barreled through the snow, end over end until the beast perched over the body of its kill. Rasputina proved she was made of tougher stock than her slender frame would suggest, and met her attacker's eyes with her frigid gaze. Reaching up, her tiny hand pressed in against the beast's giant arm, which instantly curled in pain before it was frozen stiff by her touch. The beast howled in pain, but with a strike of her other hand, the beast's arm shattered like glass, disintegrated from the shoulder down. It toppled over, rolling into the snow, clutching at the jagged stump of its shoulder. Rasputina stood, dusted herself off, and faced off against her rival. Lilith fumed. Rasputina, halt. By order of the guild, you are under arrest. Only one hundred yards down the street, a pair of men stood. The first, whose voice boomed with authority, levelled his pistol at the witch. His other hand held his worn hat to his head as a wind whipped at his faded poncho. Beside the witch hunter stood a wiry, nervous-looking man, who hopped back and forth from one foot to the other. This man struck a match against his chin and set it to the fuse of his dynamite. Rearing back, his long arm set the explosive flying an impressive distance, the stick landing in a snowdrift between the two women. The two women glanced at each other, and then at the snow where the stick had disappeared, uncertain whether it had doused the spark. Rasputina's companion, the tiny cat, leaped up onto her shoulder. Both women seemed to come to the same conclusion, not to chance it. Both turned and ran. Lilith called over her shoulder, Don't die until I kill you. Only an explosion answered her. The dynamite detonated with a thunderous blast that shook the ground beneath them like a god stepping down from the sky. The street shattered, falling away into the deep sewer beneath it. The ancient construction succumbed to its age, and more of the ground fell into the pit opening beneath it. A tall building lurched violently, and the floors above crashed down onto those below. The whole building imploding, a giant cloud of debris shooting up into the sky like a geyser. The two men watched, fascinated, as the earth swallowed up the building. When the dust began to settle, one of them spoke. Damn it, Loco, I'm never taking you into the field again. Are you going to dig their bodies out of that? The deputy holstered his revolver and moved to where a man's body lay in the snow. Kneeling down, he touched his fingers against the corpse's wound. It's feel from the nut house, offered Loco. Thanks, Loco. The deputy narrowed his eyes as his fingers moved over a bulge in the victim's coat. Reaching inside, he drew out a thick, leather-bound journal. Worked into the leather on the cover were written the words, 
the philosophy of uncertainty. He returned the volume to the pocket of the coat and turned his head up to look at his partner. Make yourself useful. Help me carry this body back to the asylum. That's it for another episode of The Weird Chronicles. Join us next time for more tales of action and adventure.